Well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity again to be here with you this morning. Um, a lot of times I can take it for granted that uh, these things just keep happening. And, you know, we're glad for this moment. We're glad for this day. We're glad for this time that we have. I tell you what, a lot of advertisers are glad for this day. I don't think there's anything that matches this day for advertising. I don't think there's much uh, in the minds of the National Football League that matches this day. And, and all the fans, especially Patriot and Giant fans, etc., uh, etc. Et nothing, nothing matches the eager anticipation and the eventual brute action of the game, right? It's the big game. You know, and you wonder what would get more viewership on television, the uh, Super Bowl, the presidential election, or American Idol. Who knows? We're not going to go bother with that, though, okay? We're just kind of opening things up here. I want to get your attention, just like the, uh, you know, the commentators want to get your attention about every single play. Oh my goodness. And let's do it in slow motion five times. And I'll analyze it for you and explain it to you. Yeah, the guy just got run over, okay? <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. But you know what else? We'll shift gears now, okay? And that is, there's really nothing that compares to, just like these, you know, NFL guys do it, you know, and nothing compares to this day. Well, there's nothing really that compares to a newborn baby. Amen? There's really nothing that compares to a newly engaged couple and their love for one another. We're glad for Andy and Nicole. We're excited about that. Yeah. And for those that can remember back that far, <laughs> um, really, it is. It's, it's a great... There's really nothing that matches that. Um, those things that happen in life, a, a newborn baby, uh, the, the love and anticipation of, of marriage, those things are, are beautiful things. Well, there's something else that needs to be brought to our uh, think tank here. And that is, there's really, and this is for everyone, everyone here, young and old. According to the Bible, there's nothing that matches the promise of Christ's return. Nothing that matches the promised return of Jesus Christ. It's a theme that is uh, brought forth over and over again, repeated over and over many times, and it's the idea of to look for His return, to wait for His return. And really, when we we're, we've been talking about our living hope as believers, and one of the main cogs of our living hope is the very fact that He will return again. He said that. He promised it. And so, because He is our living hope, we have hope 
in His appearing. And this morning, that's what we will dwell on. That's what we will study. And we, I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 2. Now I know, I realize we've been in this not too long ago, but towards the back of your Bible, uh, if you don't have one, there should be a black a little Bible there in front of you in the pew to look upon uh, towards the back of your Bible. It's 1 John, a little letter of uh, just five little chapters. 1 John chapter 2. We want to look at this this morning. Hope in His appearing. I can say I've got hope in dealing with my tough times in life. I, I have hope uh, that He will help me through and help you through what you're going through now. But far more importantly is to be ready for His return. And we have hope in what He's promised. He will return again. He will come again. And not only is it about His return that we want to talk about, and really we ought to be excited about it. It's okay to be excited about this too. You sure? But something else that we need to be thinking about while we are reminded of hope of His appearing is how that affects how you're living right now. Because that's the concept behind, that's the truth behind this passage and many other passages that would refer to His coming again. It ought to stir us up to say, I, I need to change my life, my, my lifestyle, my conduct, etc., etc. Because of, if He's returning again, I want to be ready. And the word if should be say, stated since. Since he's returning, I want to be ready for that. And so, it's about his return, and it's about our response. Okay? And that's point number one in your outline. If you want to follow along, take your outline there. And it's about an expected return. An expected return. I want you to look at First John chapter 2, verse 28. And now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Okay, so we want to take this first section of just saying, here it is, an expected return. It's been promised in God's Word. It is a bit perplexing because we end up thinking, well, what does this mean versus what does this mean in the Bible? There's a lot of different verses that get thrown at us and we say, ah, oh, I don't know quite how to, to handle that and understand that. And we do not have all the answers to all the questions about His return. But I want to say two points under this uh, main one, number one of His expected return. And the first one, letter A, is it's promised as imposing, Okay. It's promised as imposing, meaning it's going to be impressive and powerful. Okay? It's not like you're going to just turn and say, oh, okay, great. No, you will be, uh, you know, it's going to be an imposing thing, a, a, an impressive, strong thing, the event of Christ's return. And then letter B is, it's promised as imminent. And many of you have heard that word before, imminent. 
and really all that's saying is it, it could happen like right now. And if you don't believe that, that's why we want to talk about this. That's why we want to try and understand this subject more. And the problem is, we get caught up in this subject. And I remember being a brand new Christian and having the late great planet Earth. out at the, It was like the popular book. You remember that one? Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth. You know, and it's like, oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And, and yes, he's coming. I think it's important that we, you know, obviously we've got to understand what the Bible is saying about His coming. Parkside Bible Fellowship believes it will be a literal meeting in the air. That's called the rapture. We believe in the rapture. The word rapture is like the word trinity. You will not find it in the Bible. We believe in the trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the rapture of the church. Now, there's, there's this big subject called the second coming of Christ. And we think, you know, how do we, you know, what's that? And now you just said this word rapture, what's that? How do we understand it differently? And I want you to write this passage down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where everyone goes to talk about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians. Keep, you can keep a mark in 1 John, but turn uh, back to the left towards 1 Thessalonians. It's right nearby 1 and 2 Timothy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to look at this quickly. Starting at verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpets of God, or the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, again, this is a miracle, and you need to put that word with the, the term and the concept of rapture. It's, here's another miracle that God does. It's not hard for God. It's not hard for God at all to speak a word and make bodies rise up out of the grave. Remember the, the, the point of going in, into, into the tomb to raise up Lazarus? Stop and think of that. He had to say Lazarus. <laughs> right? If he just goes in and says, hey, rise up. It's like, okay, I want to rise up. And he states, Lazarus, rise, come forth. Okay? God's got that kind of power, my friend. And we limit that power. We think it's got to be more in tune with what we're accustomed to. But God's got power beyond you and I could ever, ever imagine. And He holds all things by, what? Hebrews chapter 1, the word of His power. The word of His power. 
also, along with this, this reference of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this idea that we'll be caught up, okay? I want, I want you to just uh, mark it down in your notes. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 is uh, the reference of, here's, here's Christ. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he says to John, you write down everything I tell you to, and here we go. And what does he start with? He starts with writing to the, the churches. He's writing to the churches to explain to them, here's, here's my report on you. Here's my review on you. And I find it interesting. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And I find this very interesting that the two final churches that he writes to, chapter 3, starting in verse 7, he says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? And that's what he's started these letters with all the time. And to this church at Sardis, this church at, at uh, Ephesus, write these things. And to the church at Philadelphia, write this, he who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those who, uh, those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance or you've been faithful to my work as it's stated. We can say it that way. You've been faithful to my work. I also will, what? Keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Here's what I'm putting before you. What our church believes. That the rapture will happen at any moment. Might be today, might be next week, might be 20 years from now. Might be 100 years from now. But once that rapture happens, then what will take place is the, the tribulation. He's, he tells us this is one of the verses that we have to say, He's going to keep us from that. I will keep you from the hour of testing that the what? The whole world in verse 10. Okay, now, not to stop there, but now chapter 3 winds up with, here's, Here's the, the, to the angel of the church in verse 14 in Laodicea. Write this in verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you are cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now we're familiar with that, that phrase there and, and that, uh, that picture. Why? Because Christ is talking to his church. Be either hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm in your what? In your, in your faith, in your, your deeds, in what you're about in life. And then notice in verse 20, the context of chapter 3, verse 20, is with His people. It's with 
the church, verse 20, look at it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. That's to the church he's saying that to. And you and I, therefore, are supposed to be responding in communion with, with Christ. Not just on a Sunday. Not just in, at Christmas time or Easter. All the time. Throughout your life. Is your life a life of worship to God? Or do you compartmentalize things and say, well, that's, that's over here. That's for church. And over here, well, this is work. And, and this is, you know, life and, and, and real life. I sometimes hear that and I say, real life? What? And some, sometimes that's how we break things up. Christ doesn't want to just say, hey, uh, I want to be Lord of your life for Sundays. <laughs> you know that's wrong. And that's the challenge for me and you as to how we live our lives. Now, here's the next point. I, I need to get moving on this, but I, it's important. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 in Revelation talk about what? The church. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And you know what? Folks, we do not read of the term church or assembly from that point on till the very end of the book of Revelation saying, you know what? The church is gone. There's tribulation on the earth. Why is there tribulation on the earth? Well, God's going to do something. And thus, at the second coming of Jesus, He will come upon the earth and He will reign. He will defeat the enemies of God and He will reign. He will reign in righteousness. And that's what—that's the, the piecing together. We're not going to try and go into this anymore, but I, I want to lay that out for you. I'm not going to try and you know, be here this morning and, and talk you into it if you're something other than, you know, Here's the rapture and, the, and, and it happens before the tribulation. We're not going to argue that point. We're just going to put that forth. I know there's a lot of uh, people that would argue otherwise and say, no, tr- the rapture doesn't happen. It's all about the second coming. And Christians have to go through the tribulation. Well, we're not going to you know, debate that now and we're not going to go into detail about that now. I wanted to lay that out before you. This is where Parkside Bible Fellowship is and what we believe. The rapture, then comes the tribulation, then comes the second coming of Christ and his, his messianic reign. Okay? So, now, and I said in letter B, it's imminent. Anytime, any moment, and no man knows. You know, last year the big news was about Harold Camping predicting, here's when it's going to be. And then he was wrong. Well, and oh, I was wrong. But here's what it's going to be again. And then, this week, I read an article of a guy by the name of Gerald Haug who's on the totally opposite side. He says, the rapture is not going to occur. In fact, he said, the Lord won't return until after 2100. Okay, wait a minute. Did we just say that no man knows the time? Say that to yourself. No man knows the time. 
So this guy, this Gerald Haug, he's saying, oh, but Christ won't return until after the year 2100. I guess he didn't get that memo. Okay. So. But remember, as we go through this, having hope is not only about strictly his return. It's also about how you and I live in light of his return. And he will come. So number two is an evident response. An evident response. Back to 1 John chapter 2. An evident response is right there. So that when he appears, we may have what? Confidence. Everyone likes confidence, that you're confident in something. Well, we want to be, as Christians, we want to be confident in his return. And what? And not shrink away from him in shame. The word shrink away and shame is all one word. And it's the idea of shrink away in shame. Okay? It's pretty simple. So, either, letter A, either the response will be either in confidence or letter B, in shame. It's that simple of a breakdown in the outline. And this is letter A, either in confidence, you know, this is what we ought to be about. That we'll have confidence upon meeting Him in the air. We'll have confidence in, in you know, here's, here's the return of Christ. And it's really a fairly simple procedure about how to have confidence. And John's going to give it to us. And that's what the last uh, part, portion of the outline is going to be about, our, our study here. So that we would have confidence in his appearing. It's about having assurance. Do you have that? Stop right now and think, you know, do I have an assurance and a, and a confidence that I'm ready for Christ to come? See, a lot of us don't have that confidence. A lot of us don't have assurance because life is not about Christ. Life is really about me. And I'll talk about belief in Christ or I'll show up to church, but I don't really believe in Christ in that way. And so I challenge you, you know, it's, it's more about what does the Scripture tell you about this imminent return? What does it say about Christ in coming again? And He's not going to come, as we've implied this in the past, He's not going to come like a little baby like He did the first time. He's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's, oh, let me say this. He's, that's the second coming. He's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guess what? When he comes at the rapture, you know what he's doing? He's coming for his what? His bride. His, his bride. He's coming for his bride. Now what bride is going to walk down the aisle in stained wedding gown? With, oh, that lunch sauce right on her, on her dress. What bride's going to do that? You tell me. The bride wants to come what? Come down in that beautiful white gown. Why? Symbolizing, I've kept, I kept myself for you. I've kept myself for you. 
And there's a, there's just an, an amazing, there's, there's that amazing love. And somehow we, we separate from that thought when we think of, here's Christ's return. He's coming for His bride, the church. Okay? Now, that, there's confidence in that. Right? Letter B, or in shame. In shame. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. Don't be deceived into thinking how happy everyone will be at Christ's return. Don't be deceived into thinking that. If Christians are not careful, they can be filled with shame when Christ appears. That's what he's implying in the verse. I don't want to be, you know, having shame in my life when he appears. I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for that, not to fall into that category. This word shame is about disgrace, dishonor. And we think, no, that wouldn't happen with Jesus. It's not going to happen with Jesus. It's going to happen with you or me if we're not careful in how we live our lives. Ashamed of what they're taken with. You know? And it doesn't have to be, you know, terrible, terrible sins like murder and rape and, you know, it doesn't have to do with that. It's sins of the heart. It's what, what are you holding on to in your heart? Seek ye first the kingdom of Woody or the kingdom of God? Well, I better be seeking the kingdom of God, my friend. You better too. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you need to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and, and call out to Him for salvation, for mercy from the wrath to come. You need to call out to Christ for salvation. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that your sin has separated you from a holy God, that you are created in His likeness and in His image. So now, come back by repenting and trusting in Christ, having faith. Call out to Him. I, I believe, Lord Jesus, come and save me. And He will keep His, what? His promise. His Word. So, be alert to this. This idea of shame lines up with this reference. Mark it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Where that talks about, that's, it's about judgment. And that section of Scripture is talking about not the great white throne judgment, but the Bema seat judgment, where Christians will be, get this, judged. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you've gone too far. How will Christians be judged at the Bema seat judgment? They will be judged on their works. They, they're, they're no longer judged in the, in the grand scheme of things because Christ has taken your judgment. Christ has taken the penalty for your sin. But our works, our works will be reviewed there. And they'll be put through the fire to test if they're either wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and what? Precious stones. So what we do matters, right? It matters. You don't do it for yourself or for your glory or for your pastor or for anyone else. You do it for Christ. What you do. Let's do it for Him, for His glory. Okay? I think right now that there's a, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman has that song out now. 
um, all about his, I, I don't know the title, but he's talking about just whatever you do. I won't sing it. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Okay? Whatever you do. Okay? Now I got the tune going in my head. <laughs> Whatever you do. Okay. So, stop and evaluate it yourself. Evaluate it yourself. What would make you ashamed if Christ walked in that door right there? And he could read your heart, which he does. And see, what, what does that cause now? If you're ashamed over something, then this is good. Because now you can say, oh, I need to do something. What do we need to do? Turn from it. Make the appropriate changes. What kind of changes ought to be made? Now, all of this is based on point number three. All of this. His expected return and our evident response to things. It all comes forth from, whether for good or for bad, there's got to be a, you know, here's this energized relationship. Number three. It's an energized relationship. All I'm saying with that is, you're, you're born again or you're not. If you're born again, if you're a true Christian, if you're a genuine Christian, and that doesn't imply you've got to be the, the superwoman or superman of Christianity. No. That's Jesus alone. <laughs> He's God. But your life, there's... There are, listen, there are evidences of what your life, if you're a Christian, there's evidences of what your life ought to be. And it's not a big mystery. It's really simple. Letter A, abiding connection. There ought to be an abiding connection. If you do not have an abiding connection, you know, then you're, yeah, you're, you got problems. You have to have an abiding connection with Jesus. That's what he stated in the Gospel of John. That's what is stated here. Paul says it in other ways. He says it this way. Walk in the Spirit. And don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Okay? Peter says it. You know? Peter says it in a number of ways. You know, just keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Okay? So it's the, this concept of if you're born again, you're saying, oh, I, I, I need to be abiding. Abiding in Christ. How do you do that? Spend time in His Word. It's very basic. Spend time in His Word. If you're not spending time in His Word, that's evidence that you're not abiding in Christ. You can say, but I, I have the Spirit of God within me. Well, then good. So respond to the Word. Have the Word like that water washing over your hearts and your minds. Cleanse away all the, all the stuff of this world that latches on to your brain. Have the Word of God wash your hearts and your minds. Okay? Abide in Christ. Letter B is righteous conduct. You can see it in 1 John. Okay? Um, by the way, it's, you, you look back at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, where he says it right from the start. And now little children abide in Him. 
And then verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. There's evidence. So letter B is righteous conduct. Is your conduct lining up more and more with with what Christ desires for you? It's It's a practice. Is it established in your life? The more you spend time in the Word and memorize it and then apply it, the more you're going to have an established practice for, for a Christian walk. Young people, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to be in the Word and, and, and memorize the Word. The more you memorize it now, it won't be as hard when you're an adult. I don't know what it is. Memorize the Word. Hide the Word in your hearts. Ask God to help you do that. And a lot of us older folks can, can testify. It gets tough because the, the testings and the temptations and the trials don't stop. So get the Word of God in your hearts and lives now. And that, you know, that's for everyone. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in what? In hope. Okay? I didn't finish it, but I will. So, then letter C. Letter C is uh, from chapter 3, verse 1. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Okay? So, letter C is loving confirmation. Loving confirmation. And that's between me and, and, and Jesus Christ. And my response to Him. It's between you and Jesus Christ. And your response. And it's confirmation. Here's where I'm at in life. Have you, have you doubted your salvation in the past? Yeah. You know, there's times where that can happen. And so I want to get confirmed in this loving relationship. Behold. You know, think about it. Behold. Put your eyes on this. Set your, you know, get your understanding here. It's about how great He loves you. And if you're saying, oh, but you don't understand, you know, my life is this and this. Well, now you've just turned the attention to you. You've got to get your attention on Christ and His glories, His magnificent glories. You know, I, I say it this way. Bask Bask in your new identity. Bask in it. And that's very important to know who you are. Who are you in Christ? And the more you can go back to saying what the girls saying this morning about the promises of God, you know what? Your identity will have a confidence. I know who I am. I'm a Christian. I'd like to tell you about it. But sometimes we don't have a good grasp on our identity and so we don't talk about Christ with other people. We talk about the weather. We talk about the football game. We talk about... I don't know. Good to see you. (laughs) You know? And we, you know, we throw little statements around. But when we're strong in our identity in in Jesus Christ and who we are in Him 
then we can show here's love to one another. Right? We need to remind ourselves of this truth. Um, Letter D. Very simple. In verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, there it is again, when He's revealed, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. Simply stated, letter D is Christ-like character. We grow in that likeness. Hopefully that's happening now in our lives. We're growing in likeness to Jesus Christ because we're spending time looking at His Word and it's now hopefully going beyond that to reflect in our lives and show forth in our lives. But when we see Him, we will be made perfect because we'll be made like Christ. You know what? Our faith at that moment, here's the rapture happening. Our faith, we'll be looking to the skies. Something's happening here. We have, uh, this has never happened before. I'm flying. But we will be looking to Christ and we will see Him as He is. He's glorified. He's high and lifted up. And we're going to be made like Him. And you can look, mark it also down, mark it down also, 1 Corinthians 15. There it is too. This, this body can't handle this, you know, this new stuff that Jesus is going to bring about. This physical mortal body need, will be changed. That's why I think it's, you know, this whole thing of being at the cemetery, visiting our daughter's spot and seeing others that have gone on before. Wouldn't that be cool? Seeing bodies, the ground breaking up and bodies flying up to meet Jesus. They're going to meet Him first. That's what First Thessalonians says. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who remain will be caught up in the air together with Him. So that's Christ-like character. It's about being conformed to Christ's image. And then letter E is really... This isn't necessarily more important than any of the others. But this this is absolutely critical that we are understanding its place. And it's this. Letter E is a purifying convergence. Now, I, I, I had to look up that word because I wanted to make sure I was communicating the right thought. Convergence is the idea of coming as in, in union. Andy and Nicole, yeah. Coming together in as one. Moving towards one point. And the idea of verse 3, look at it. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this Hope fixed on Him, Christ, purifies Himself just as He is pure. So that's the idea. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Christ and there ought to be then a what? A purifying process going on. And that's the challenge that's before us. We can be all glad and happy about, oh, I know that Christ will return. But what is that knowledge doing in your life and mine? What's that producing? First John says, it better be producing purity in life. That's the idea there. And then here's, here's some references. We're not going to look them up. But references. I hope you'll write them down. 
We'll start in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 19 through 25. There is the, the, the message of the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. That's motivation for uh, living a pure life. Galatians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. Ephesians 4 and 5. Um, another section there that says, put away these things and put on the new man. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, 1 through 10. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. Set your eyes and set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then it moves on to saying, here's things, get rid of these things. And this, this will help bring about purity in your life. Finally, another final reference on that for purity is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Okay, so, do you have this hope in His appearing? Do you have this hope in His appearing? If that's the case, don't allow ourselves, and I put myself in this company also, we can't allow ourselves to diminish that by how we're really living. Because the, the present life and Christ's coming glory are not to be separated out. It's designed so that you and I would then be motivated in how we then live for Him. Andrew Murray wrote this little paragraph I'd like to read to you. Andrew Murray says this, It is not when we are most occupied with prophetic subjects, but when in humility and love we are clinging most closely to our Lord that we are in the bride's place. If you would ever learn a right to wait for His Son from heaven, live even now waiting on God in heaven. And what he means by that last phrase is trusting in Him now. Hoping in Him now. Waiting on Him now. Wait on the Lord and you'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40. So, okay, so transition into our our time of communion. We said this is about an energized relationship. Having a, knowing that he's returning and concerned about our response, all is based on what kind of relationship we have with the Savior. And that energized relationship simply means that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're born again. How do you look back on this past week? You look back on this past week, you think of it that there's a mix of shame or confidence? Or is it all about confidence or what? I mean, we, we ought to, when we come to the table like this, we do. We need to evaluate ourselves. And if you're a, if you're a Christian here this morning, it's open you, you can certainly, we want you to partake of communion. What we don't want is what the Bible is saying. Don't take of communion if you're, if you're not right with other people 
if you're holding back something, if you're harboring sin, those kinds of things, don't take communion. Don't, don't be a phony in that way. We want there to be that transparency with God. I mean, God knows it. God reads our hearts. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're struggling with. You know, if it's something that here this morning, have you been, you know, you look back on this past month or half, whatever portion of time, you look back on it, have you been guilty of practicing sin? Where you just, you're just going to practice sin. Well, then, you know, then it's a big issue of, well, are you even saved? And again, I, I want to put that out there for us so that we struggle with that and, and wrestle with it. Uh, do you practice sin? John is saying if you practice sin, you're not his child. I didn't say that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the difference. Do I struggle with sin? Yes. Do you struggle with sin? Yes, you do. And thus the, the beauty of the table he wants you to just come to him and say, I, I confess this to you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for what you've done. We give you thanks. That's what communion is about. I'd like the men at this time who are helping to serve to come. And we do. We want to encourage you to uh, just quiet your heart before the Lord. Ask Him to lead and guide you. There's not a... If you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not good enough to take it. Well, no one is good enough to take it. You got that? No one is good enough to partake of this. It's only through... Here's what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. I put my faith in Him. And I, I, I claim His shed blood on my behalf. Remember, we sang the song this morning, Nothing but the blood... Well, it, it, it's nothing but the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. And our whole excitement about His return, it just keeps coming back to you and me as individuals and us as a church to encourage and, and encourage one another about how do we live in light of His return. Don't live in such a way that just stomps on His grace. Right? His grace is a gift. Let's magnify Him and live for His grace. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, there's been a lot of things said here this morning to challenge us, and I we need that, Lord, because all too often here in America, we certainly have our comforts, and a lot of our comfort can be... Uh, cushioning ourselves from some of the conviction that we receive from your word and we don't want to be guilty of that either lord we want to allow your spirit to convict us and bring about a change lord there's nothing better for us than to humble ourselves before you because all too often our pride sets up camp in so many uh, disguises in so many ways oh lord Help us in receiving communion in a way that honors you. Help us to be humble before you and, and 
and confess our sins to you and, and praise you and adore you and lift you up. There's no one else that could have done what you did on the cross because no one else was a perfect sacrifice. And so we thank you for this, Lord. Please be glorified in our time and in our meditation. In Jesus' name, amen.